there, this is Frankie. And this is Jana. And we're the owners of Zenly Yoga Studio. Zenly is a neurodivergent owned and operated studio in St. Peter's on Gadigal land. We made a space where neurodivergent, BIPOC, queer, fat, disabled and just nervous people can come and experience movement. We have quiet corners, low lighting, accessibility aids and trauma-informed staff. Have a first free class on us. Go to zenly.com.au, sign up and use the offer code NYNT. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Welcome to Not Your Neurotypical Podcast, the podcast dedicated to exploring the real experiences, insights, challenges and perspectives of neurodivergent individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Raylene Sebastian, and I was diagnosed with ADHD later in life. In each episode, we'll be delving into the fascinating world of neurodivergence, a concept that celebrates the incredible diversity of human minds. We'll unravel misconceptions, share personal stories, and offer practical insights to create a more inclusive and accepting world for everyone. Whether you're neurodivergent, neurotypical, or somewhere in between, this podcast is your bridge to building empathy, breaking down barriers, and fostering a community where differences are not just acknowledged, but celebrated. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and stay tuned for our upcoming episodes. Before we jump in, a note on our content. This is created for adult audiences only. We advise listener and reader discretion for depictions and discussions of mental illness, existential struggle, and some downright filthy language. It can be a lot to take in. So if you need a breather, take a break or come back later. Remember, help is available at Lifeline by calling 13 11 14. Hey, and welcome to the very first episode of Not Your Neurotypical Podcast. In this episode, I interview Bridget. I had a wonderful time chatting with her. We talk about our similar experiences with RSD, stimulant medication, unmasking, and ADHD advocacy, and how her life made sense after her diagnosis. Bridget is a 29-year-old Australian woman and a proud mother of two. After being diagnosed with ADHD combined presentation in 2022, she has become passionate about breaking the stigma surrounding neurodivergent conditions. Bridget shares her experiences and advocates for neurodiversity with those in her personal life. In her free time, Bridget enjoys traveling in her caravan, exploring op shops, spending time at the beach, and indulging in Japanese cuisine. But enough from me. Let's hear from her. We'll start with a little introduction about yourself. I know I know a little bit about you um, through our emails, but for our listeners, could you let us know what, what you're about and, and you know, why you t- chose to, to be a part of the podcast? So I'm a mum of two. I've got a one-year-old and a three-year-old. I was diagnosed with ADHD combined presentation back in October 2022. Mm. I found about the <laughs> I found out about it from TikTok back in 2020, <laughs> and then in true ADHD style, it took me two years to do something about it. Yeah. And having my second, it uh, everything got it bit tough with symptoms um so I was pretty desperate to be diagnosed and start on some medication and other therapies Mm -hmm. and that led to my diagnosis and now I love to talk about it and spread awareness um there's so much stigma against uh Mm. any sort of neurodivergent condition Mm. Um, so I like to try and help people understand them yeah, no, absolutely. I can understand how that feels. And and being, I guess, in that time when you were diagnosed, what was that like for you? It was overwhelming. I mm. went down the process of having a psychologist assessment done. I still see that psychologist as well. Uh, if, 
I went to appointments every week for a month and had, we did things like uh, intelligence activities, uh, making patterns. My mum got interviewed. Um, I did lots of online stuff for it. Yeah. And then every single appointment, I was so drained. I either got sick or I just slept for hours. It was a lot to put your brain through that sort of assessment process, I think. And then once I got my diagnosis, my very, very last appointment in the report, I just was trying to not to cry because I was so happy that I got that diagnosis. And my psychologist was like, just let it all out. Just (laughs) was bawling because I had so much, like I was convincing myself that I didn't have it. I had a lot of imposter syndrome, which I know is Mm. common with a lot of neurodivergent people. And Mm -hmm. just to know that I wasn't crazy and like my whole life made sense. And then you start a grieving process. (laughs) Um, That's right. Yeah. So you grieve the life you could have had if you were diagnosed earlier on, you could have paid attention in school you could have maybe gone to uni if you wanted to done done something like better than you could have ended up better than where you thought you would have been uh and then you start to also grieve <laughs> i just went like no you're fine <laughs> i can understand i can understand how you but no i i think um uh, I definitely relate to you um, there. I think you mm. might have obviously heard me in, in the uh, in my interview with Katie. Just yeah, you do. You start this huge grieving pro- process and how much all the coulda, woulda, shouldas, and yeah. just like you and you don't realize how much yeah, it affected your life and yeah. and you start analyzing and mm. you're just in this paralysis and which is like almost every day, but because yeah. of the diagnosis and someone telling you finally. At a professional lens like yeah you've, you've got something that is hindering you to do a lot of things not exactly hindering but more there is so much more that you have to push through than more neurotypicals do um yeah. i think that's something that's hard for us to understand because it's it's different and no one actually tells you how to do that you just kind of do it right so you're just on autopilot um so no i can i totally understand um how that was for you and i'm you know, but you know, it's, it's such a, I think it's, I, I'm, I'm hoping it gave you relief. Did you feel after you grieved, did you feel a bit more better? Yes, uh, definitely. I think sometimes I still think about the, those things from my mm. past that could have been mm. different. Uh, but I definitely have so much relief <laughs> after, yeah. after processing it all. And then it's the, I'm starting to learn about myself, allowing me to be my actual self instead of masking and which I didn't know I was subconsciously doing all of my life. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. Actually, I totally forgot to, um, we were meant to get into a little discussion topic this before we got into our introduction, but um, you did send me a link before we started our interview and I thought that might actually tie into what we were just talking about. Mm. the whole masking and I think that's probably relevant to both you and I um and we can probably talk about that here is that yeah you're right with uh we'll we'll add a link to the show notes about that um that video you showed me but it's yeah the whole unmasking after you've you know got your diagnosis and then for people to be shocked at you know how much you're setting these boundaries and Mm. and how much because you know what you know what kind of behaviors you're 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 showing and what kind of things you need to distance yourself for things that your brain doesn't quite process or you don't know how to do on a neurotypical basis. But mm-hmm. it's but then like, yeah, just the reactions of people around you, it's also quite tiring because you have to almost, you know, you have to go through the explanations over and over yeah. again. And then because they don't understand when you say, oh, I have ADHD, they just assume they've got this one idea of, of what it is. And yeah. then when you do explain it, it's they have no clue and they don't believe you almost and that's I believe that's a huge thing yeah I don't know Uh, what what do you think well even myself back when I was considering possibly having ADHD in my Mm -hmm. brain it was the little boy in year three through a charity Mm -hmm. teacher so Mm -hmm. having to explain to people that 
it's actually things have changed in the last 20, 30 years and it's actually not just that. ADHD is a lot of in-your-head stuff that you don't see. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's right. And um, I think that's something I like to say is, is, you know, uh, disabilities aren't always visible. Yeah. You know, um, whether or not it's a disability, but it is something that, you know, it's a condition that affects us. Um, but that's true, like, you know, because of the doctors telling everyone, hey, it's a, a you know, hyperactive child um, in preschool, like, you know, most of the time it is male because females are underdiagnosed. Um, that's all they think about. And it's like, oh, but you couldn't possibly have it. That's just your personality. Yeah. Um, and then for your, you know, all your years thinking, oh, it's just part of my personality. It's nothing else. Like, that's just who we are as women. It's probably just all the hormones and but no, it, you know, then when you get the diagnosis, just thinking, okay, it wasn't, and then trying to push back on those ideals. So, yeah, I can imagine um, your um, your experience there. And I think that says a lot for, um, I guess, what ADHD looks like now for everyone and, and the whole trends on, on TikTok, like yeah. you mentioned. I think that's been a huge eye-opener for people. And um, I, saw an, I actually saw an interesting article the other week where it said, you know, are people being more diagnosed and more aware of, of the condition or are they being inaccurately diagnosed? Mm. Um, and that's the thing because then I kind of went down this thread as yeah. you do, <laughs> you know, with ADHD, just going through every trend going, oh, I want to know more, like, you know, new, <laughs> uh, new shiny thing. So and then I read about, you know, well, people now, are, you know, have short attention spans because of, you know, having all this internet and all that so it's like yeah they could be misdiagnosed but then because you're spreading awareness it could just mean you know everyone's on a varied spectrum of all these things but it's yeah. just at least you're bringing to attention what they could have and yeah and letting and talk, you know being able to talk about mental health is a huge thing already so I think that's a, a wonderful thing yeah. I don't know what do you think <laughs> I think even before it was trending on TikTok I think a lot mm. of people were being misdiagnosed even back then like your bipolar disorder borderline personality disorder that's and then suddenly like some of these people they it's actually ADHD Mm, I've seen a couple of people talking about how it's actually had been ADHD Mm -hmm. uh yeah yeah no um that's true I remember talking to my psych and a couple people saying that I was misdiagnosed like depression, like being, you know, having depression and just having high function anxiety. And that was it. Like there was no other, no other answer. And, but, you know, having years of people go saying that to me, having professionals say, no, you just have these two things that that's all it is. And you've got PTSD. That's okay. Like, you know, that's all you have. And then, you know, because it is under the umbrella of of ADHD, then then going, well, like it's only just a symptom of it. So surely, you know, but it, it, it was sorry I'm on a tangent but like realizing that having the in your anxiety and PTSD it's like um you know but when people when the professionals you know pretty much steered me towards those two I could then focus on that which kind of helped in some way because then I could manage them differently separately under a different umbrella whereas then now knowing that it's ADHD now being so hyper focused on okay it's all just ADHD um so then it kind of like takes me away from like, oh, you know, I'm just sad. And it's just, so it's kind of trying to relearn and and like identify what actually fits in where, because, you know, there's no handbook. <laughs> yeah. I was always thought to have had anxiety all my life. That's just, mm. that's what I was told. So it was just mm-hmm. that. But then now looking at it, it's like, oh, I was anxious because they, I was overstimulated at this cafe. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, maybe a bit of RSD and mm-hmm. you know um, RSD is something that's being spoken about more now and mm-hmm. it's, it's I think it's extremely <laughs> debilitating emotionally <laughs> oh no, I, yeah I agree um, I think yeah I it it's a huge thing and I don't think people don't talk about it enough mm. um, because it's yeah because you know people think oh well you know, women are just sensitive creatures. It's just a part of them. But, you know, you could say something as simple as just like, no, to, to, you know, to me. And I'd just be like, oh, why did you say, you know, you make a big fuss. But it's 
because just the a facial expression yeah. really yeah that's right exactly and it's just the interpretation like and you know it's because we're so different in social settings we don't know mm-hmm. and you know we just because of our masking we just bases we just base our interaction off of how people interact with other people so when they're not kind of you know um i guess affected by what someone has said and it's kind of clearly to us it seems very sensitive but to them it's like oh how does that not affect them but to me i'm very and it's not even me directed at me but i'm so affected i want to cry like it yeah yeah it's, and then you get that i i personally get a full body like anxiety yeah. for hours and so being able to recognize what's causing those things helps me deal with it better um, my psychologist gives me um has been working with me to change my thoughts about what I think about certain situations like I can't prevent it like maybe this person's actually thinking so and so or not thinking so and so um so like knowing that it's all ADHD related is just life-changing <laughs> yeah um I think that's always a good way to yeah to start reframing the thoughts but mm. because you've you know you, you just that's just how you've been for so long and it but it's good that's it I like that um that that's a good um suggestion and I think that's something I'll have to try and <laughs> apply to my everyday as well um you know uh but then that's that's a really good idea um has that helped you in situation? the the th- thoughts yeah. In my thoughts, yes, it has, definitely. Um, it takes a lot of, I don't think I can was able to do it straight away, but over time it gets a little bit easier because mm-hmm. um, looking at those things you think, oh, my thoughts are so quick. How am I meant to, like, think, oh, you know, it's actually this and this when my brain is automatically going to go to the negative thing, like I don't have time to, but it, over time in practice yeah. it works yeah yeah it... <laughs> oh no yeah well that's that's right um but that's always good it's like yeah you're trying to separate the emotion to to just thoughts and just mm. and that's obviously very exhausting because you're trying to process what's happening and then let alone trying to think yeah. and trying to stop the overthinking and it's it's a very lot exhausting. yeah <laughs> i can imagine um I'm trying to think of what my um, psychologist would say as well. I think, um, I think they would. I think she would have said the same. And she was definitely like, you know, put yourself in their shoes and think, how did they want you to take that interaction instead mm. of what you like? They didn't think of how you were going to react, obviously. But it was more just they didn't mean it in a way that you thought they meant it. So it's like, yeah, trying mm. to change the view and 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 all that so I think it's very helpful to think that way in in different situations too you know yeah and we like we've got our medication and stuff but Mm. we've got to train our brain to do things after that diagnosis too so um it might be you're doing housework um you've got that like burst of energy and stuff but you might want to your phone you've got to train your brain to be able to concentrate on keeping to do keep doing keeping doing that and not picking up your phone so and that's along with like every other behavior Mm, that's right because it's it almost feels like I fall into that trap a lot it's like you just feel like it's so addictive because it's just your routine at that point you've just constantly done the thing always and there's no one to go you know you're doing that again but because you catch yourself doing it you have to put in more effort to tell yourself to stop um and that's I find that very interesting but true it's true and like um I did read something the other day about like medication like you know medication is not going to fix everything it's more about you know medication is going to help you with focus and and all this stuff Mm -hmm. with your brain and the chemical side of it but but you know it drowns out everything else except and it gives you tunnel vision I find that that's the best way to explain medication gives you the tunnel vision to just focus on things but when it is with other things like you can't you know your brain's not going to tell you how to be organized it's not going to tell you how to not be sensitive like you know it's just and that yeah you're right it's a lot of retraining and it just feels like yeah it's like a blank canvas you're you're growing you know you're starting to grow again it's like you're back in high you're back in school and they're telling you this is what you should be doing and you know no one teaches you that so it's um yeah I can it is it's very exhausting it takes a lot of work yeah definitely (laughs) um and were you comfortable talking about medication yes I am yeah 
Um, so uh, what, what medication are you currently taking? I'm taking dexamphetamine. So okay, yeah. I was very lucky that we have managed to just stick to the first one I tried. Yeah. Um, I've, I feel like people don't really understand what the medication is supposed to do, which is what mm. I struggle with explaining what it's meant to do. They think that mm. it's meant to, you know, like lift my mood or, no. I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'm rolling my eyes because I've been there. I know how you feel. <laughs> like, um, I don't know, stop me from being late or something, mm. but <laughs> I get, again, that's the retraining <laughs> of brain, I think. But that's right. It's really the way I put it is I wake up in the morning, I might have 10 tasks to do. And before I take medication, I'm just so overwhelmed by what to start first, or I can't process in my mind how to do it. And then I take the medication and suddenly an hour goes by and it's all done. And you're able to think about how to do it. Like you've never have before. Yeah. So I started on a, I think it was one in the morning, one at midday for a couple of weeks, and then it was two in the morning, two at midday, and then I finally had gone up to, I think it was three in the morning, and I'd take three at lunchtime, and then I'd take an extra one at nighttime because my partner works away, and I get mm-hmm. home from work, and I've got two kids. I've still got to mm-hmm. cook dinner, do wash mm-hmm. Get ready for the next day. All these yeah. tasks. Um, so I do take that evening dose, and yeah. uh, it doesn't actually affect my sleep personally, which is very lucky. Yeah. Um, I was going to say when you mentioned dexamphetamine, I was actually going to ask you a ton of questions because <laughs> I I'm the same. I'm on dexamphetamine, and um, but that's that's actually really interesting that you say that. Yeah, it doesn't affect your sleep because um, I'm on a very low dosage only because I'm the same as you. I don't want to up it. I don't yeah. want to rely on it like Mm. that was my mentality going into like getting my diagnosis and then you know eventually then getting medication um I was very much you know in the the belief and the the, you know the opinion that I was just going to be like no I'm gonna try it Mm. if it works cool but I'm not gonna keep it and you know then my psychologist said you know some as someone with ADHD you need you actually need to like it's actually because and because, you know, back then I actually had no idea why I needed to take it. Like no mm. one said why. It was more just like, here you go. It's a very Western medication, you know, Western yeah. medicine kind of thing. Here's some medication. You'll be fine. You know, just go on your way. But and then knowing when my psychologist said, look, you actually need it because your brain doesn't naturally create these chemicals in your brain every day. Like it's not not like every other neurotypical brain that does, you know. So, mm. you know, because our levels of dopamine are very low and, and that kind of, you know, doesn't help so with the dexamphetamine it's all that and and everything um I'm not a professional so I don't know everything but it's more just it's my you know understanding of it and then when I learned that I'm like okay so I have to be more comfortable with the idea that I may need it for the rest of my life but it will be on the days where I need it most same like you like it's on the days that you know you might need more focus you might need it to just get through your day um and that's something I believe, for same like you, it's like for people to not understand why we take it. And because obviously their idea of medication is just like, oh, you're, you know, you're just abusing it. You're, yeah. you're relying on it because you can't function. It's like, well, yeah, we can't function because there's so much happening, but yeah. it's more that we can't, it's not about, you know, um, not being able to focus it's more that we can't focus on one thing we can focus on a lot of things but the idea is that we can't focus on the one thing and having the medication uh yeah like I said tunnel vision and I I can see how that works for you because I mean I can imagine being a a parent a mum of two is is, you know very busy so it's a good thing you can handle it yeah well, how how's that been like? Because um, I think you mentioned. I mean, obviously, um, you were a new, you kind of a new mum when you were diagnosed as well. So how did? Yeah, how did so I would struggled with ADHD symptoms all my life, but mm-hmm. becoming a mum, I heard somewhere that once you get that, you've got the extra responsibility that your symptoms get a bit worse because you don't have the 
uh, say like you st- in general our memories are pretty bad but mm. when we're focusing on a child or two children our memory is extra bad like because we're so we've got to concentrate on their needs and stuff so in our brains it's sort of like whatever <laughs> goes out the door yeah um, other stuff goes out the door um so it's it was just getting all a bit difficult in that way I felt like I wasn't able to manage my life properly so I thought I'd just um needed to get this done and that was my goal when I was on maternity leave uh, because that's when I did get diagnosed I my goal was to go get diagnosed before I went back to work and everything because (laughs) I was struggling Mm. no of course um yeah I think that's something I've been starting to consider um I've you know you don't hear a lot from parents with you know who um Mm. have get a diagnosis later I mean I hear about it but it's not so much them speaking out so I'm really happy that you're doing that um because it gives me a lens as well I mean uh, I'm obviously starting I kind of want to start you know looking into starting a family but you know being on dexamphetamine is kind of like well you know psychiatrist is like no you can't be pregnant and like don't be pregnant and because you know it'll, it'll affect the fetus and all that but um yeah so trying to understand how that fits in to becoming then a parent because it's already hard managing myself let alone yeah. you know trying to manage things with my part with my husband and it's like and then there's going to be you know I've got two pets and it's going to be a kid like oh my goodness I can't yeah. even imagine that much more like work in my brain because it is already so hard to, yeah. to figure out what I'm doing like myself and then fitting in more so it's it's incredible so um you're a super mum, I think. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, but it, I actually heard the other day as well that people, some people are actually, they stay on medication throughout the pregnancy. Yeah, and I feel that too. Yeah. So I, that bewilders me because I'm like, I've been told to not at all, at all feel pregnant because it'll be so bad for the baby mm. and myself. So yeah. it's like, well, I'm obviously in that um, that mindset. So then to hear that, mums and and you know anyone else can can still be on medication and it's not going to affect it's just it it scares me so I don't know yeah I guess um if you're maybe some doctors have done more research I know that Mm. there's one doctor in Victoria that's um really helpful with that sort of stuff oh I forget his name uh I guess if someone's struggling that bad honestly if that's yeah going to help yeah I'd and then the, you know it risks outweigh the benefits that's right yeah that's the, that's the best way to describe it absolutely. yeah but then on the other hand they also could be born with one of these mm. neurodivergent conditions so that's as well right. so yeah well that's true and it's I think it's a good thing for you that you also had the diagnosis mm. a little early for your children like so for that your children you know you could also understand you know, if your children present it or, you know, so on and so forth, it helps you help them in a, in a way. Cause I yeah. find that you know, us being diagnosed later, you yeah. know, would have been a shock to our parents to go, what? Like, yeah. So, That's yeah. one thing I'm really happy about because my daughter is three mm-hmm. and I, or even my son, um, I just want the, them to not go through school like I did yeah. if they have it. I want them to have the best chance, catch it early as possible. My daughter, she, I wouldn't put a label on her. I don't want to put a label on her. Mm-hmm. I can see behaviours mm-hmm. that are similar to mine mm-hmm. and I suspect it. Um, she's very, very, very wild and uh, <laughs> struggles with some emotional regulation like Mm -hmm. like I can see like my sort of emotional regulation that I struggle with and then it's different to other three-year-olds what they would have a tantrum over so I have got my eye on her and um will have my eye on my son as he gets older and hopefully if it comes to it and they do actually (laughs) display more signs then they'll have a better opportunity of getting through life a lot better than I did <laughs> yeah no and that's I think that's admirable um I mean I've, I've worked in 
childcare for quite a long time. Um, and, you know, I've known parents that have distanced themselves from that idea, like entirely, like hearing, just hearing that, like, and I understand like how you wouldn't want to label your child, that, that I can definitely get with because they're still growing. You still yeah. don't know because, yeah. you know, you, there's, there's, you know, you can put, um, you know, things in place to, to help those things kind of and grow with them. So, um, but they're not, you know, and then it comes to the age where, like I've mentioned before, it's, you know, a child who's probably five or even 12 and it's just like you can see it. You can definitely see it. Parents aren't doing anything and that's when it, that's when they fall through the cracks. And I think that's, yeah. you know, how you would have definitely felt yourself like be, being, you know, growing up through, you know, through high, through school and, and myself as well because, you know, we were just told, well, we're just we're just strange. We're just very loud. That's just how it is, you know? Yeah. Um, but at least you have that lens to be able to identify, well, if there's something that, you know, that the school system's not going to help them with, that the doctor's not going to help them with, here's my understanding now and I can then help them, which is very beautiful. So yeah. I think you should I definitely like, commend yourself. I feel hmm. like children, it's not a bad thing to mm. even have it. And no, I don't right. think a lot of people would understand they are taking in so much more than the regular person in their environment mm. they're going to they're usually creative I haven't met a neurodivergent person who's not a bit creative <laughs> that's <laughs> right <laughs> there's so many strengths to go with it so it doesn't need to be a negative thing and if you support all of their th- uh, sensory or um because even I have a lot of sensory problems. If you support them where possible, they're mm-hmm. going to st- succeed. Yeah, that's right. They're, yeah, I just I yeah. think it doesn't have to be a negative thing. No, that's right. If anything, you're just empowering them. Mm. And if it doesn't have to be under the lens or the guise of, of a mental health condition, it's just to tell them, like, here's your strengths. Mm do that and focus on them because then they don't have to feel like they're an other like they just have to feel that they can work on those strengths and just be confident that way um no that's it's a wonderful thing but no I I definitely agree and not to take away from people's struggles you can still struggle Mm. at the same time absolutely even my partner has so much patience with me yeah (laughs) Yeah. and and continues to have so much patience so it's even a struggle for our closest family members even if we're very high functioning. Yeah, no, that's right. I think that's something um, I think all neurodivergent uh, neurodivergent people have. It's that they behind them, they have patient partners and patient yes. family members. <laughs> um, I can agree with you there. My husband is so patient and it, it scares me because I'm like, I could never be this patient. Yeah, me too. You know? <laughs> I'm not um, <laughs> Yeah. So um, they're God sense. I think they're um, it's they should get an award or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, but- I think there's something I definitely want to ask here, more specific to like being in Australia is. Like, how did you find when you were getting diagnosed? How was that process like? And was it easy for you or how long was the wait? Mine was thankfully very easy and mm-hmm. quicker than most people uh, being mm-hmm. last year. And, you know, mm-hmm. psychiatrists have been booked up for yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we even have, we've only recently had a, a psychiatrist in Newcastle with an open open books just right. recently. So, um I had to go to Sydney for that. But when I was first looking into it, I didn't really know what path I should have gone through. So I went and booked, Got I went to my GP and got about, I think it was four referrals to different psychiatrists in Sydney that I was looking into and just sent them away. And I got a call from one of them who actually my brother goes to and I didn't know because he's got ADHD too that wait was only four months which is super fast yeah and then they did say to me 
you know, like if you do want to go on medication, you may have to do several appointments before we'll prescribe it. Um, you'll have right. to you have a diagnosis through the psychiatrist. And so then I was a bit worried because I was having to go back to work soon and mm. I didn't really have time to do several appointments. So mm. I did have a psychiatrist psychologist assessment and mm-hmm. um, which is the one I what I spoke about earlier mm-hmm. and that I I think I got in the next week for that and then it took a month and then another five weeks before I got that final report back and then oh. by that time I'd been able to do some cognitive behavioral therapy before seeing my side psychiatrist a month later and then mm-hmm. he actually diagnosed me on the first appointment I don't think he'd seen the psychologist assessment and I don't think a lot of them take that into account with their diagnosis no, yeah. apparently um mm-hmm. so he diagnosed me in the first appointment gave me medication and then I started it the next day and it was mm-hmm. so <laughs> exciting mm-hmm. yeah. yes I think in your emails you said I think you you cried the first day yeah I I can um, talk, talk me through that. It's just like, I think it's the, just, you're not crazy. You've got this mm-hmm. diagnosis. Here's some medication. Like you're already emotional about the diagnosis. <laughs> here's the medication and then taking it, it's, you can do stuff. You can function. You're not paralyzed on the couch. Just yes. Unreal. After you know, I was 28, 28 years of not being, not, not being able to regulate or like function properly. Yeah, that would, it's, I think um, that was very similar to me. Uh, the I was documenting on my personal Instagram, I was documenting almost every day just to, just for me in, in the future, because I just didn't, I wanted to see if it did work because I was like, I was scared, obviously, first and being a medication because, you know, when, te- when someone tells you amphetamine, I was just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's strong. Okay, I'm scared. And then, you know, so then starting my first was like, all right, let's, let's document it. And then um, I remember just sitting at um, the dining table and just kind of sitting there and just like waiting because I had the, like, the sheet that they give you with the side effects and all that because yeah. I was being so hyper aware going like, oh, my God, my heart's going to go crazy. I might need to go ambulance. I have zero, triple zero, you know, and it was just I was panicking, but I was like, okay, wait. And then, you know, in like a couple minutes or half an hour, I was like, okay, I'm just thinking about one thing. I'm not even thinking about like other things because you know you know ideally you've got so many voices in there but it's like different tangents whereas Mm. as soon as when I was sitting there with the medication I was just like I can just follow one thread of thought and wow like and I just kept screaming I just kept screaming oh my gosh I'm so calm like I just kept screaming but it's so ironic because you know you're screaming you're going crazy and it was just like I'm so calm and just my husband going okay that's really good like you're not showing me you're calm but it clearly it's working um but no I I I agree and it was just um it's it's life-changing I think Mm -hmm. and because then you you start to think like yeah is this how neurotypicals just go about doing things like if you want to think about doing something you just do it whereas I'm sure like my you I'm sure you would like well with me I like you know if I want to do something I'm like oh do I really want to and then you just go down this rabbit hole but if you're just thinking about something on medication you're just like yep it's done and it's just yeah it's still a shock to me some days and I'm sure it is with you um but no thanks for walking me through that I think it's do you think over time now with your medication how long has it been since um taking medication it's been about six months okay just over six months yeah um and how do you like are you taking that almost every day or I do take it every day because I feel Mm -hmm. like so I only work three days a week Mm -hmm. and then I've got uh you know swimming lessons a day on the other days Mm -hmm. ballet and stuff uh And then by the weekend, I feel like my family deserves the best version of me instead of the, uh, dis, you know, the executive dysfunction version of me. So I do yeah. take it every day. I may miss a morning dose here and there or mm-hmm. something like that, depending what I've got on. 
Yeah, no, beautiful. I, I, I can understand that for sure. And do you think, like, has does it still work ever since taking, like, every almost every day? Has it, do you think there's some days where it doesn't work or how's it been? I think some days I can see, like, maybe it, maybe hasn't worked as well as other times but I think those days maybe I'm just burnt out mm. and exhausted you know overstimulated because that can that can still happen it's not gonna help yeah. exhaustion unfortunately <laughs> yes yeah. some days it's just more that rather than it not working mm-hmm. yeah 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 I just thought I think I'm just curious because um yeah I mean you know I see I saw a TikTok a while ago I'm not actually even on TikTok because I know that's gonna go that's gonna distract me for a year like <laughs> hours Instagram reels are already too much anyway tangent um but there was a TikTok that I was sent that it's like you know some there was an American going like oh I've been on I think it's five ants or or Ritalin or something for so long and it doesn't work it's been a year and like you know this this woman's complaining she's like oh it's not working anymore and then the other side like the the, the, the stitch to that was like a doctor going well you know if you take it for so long every day your body becomes used to it um and then when I was watching this I'm like oh I can understand how that works because mm-hmm. obviously yeah you, you develop the tolerance in your body and so personally I've decided to like I'll take the decks like on days like like work if, you know like you're, I totally agree with how you say that I think the, that's a great way of how you mentioned like you know your your support your support network de- deserves the best version of you I love that and I I think that's the best way to put it because, yeah, I take my medication at work because, I mean, I'd rather focus and zone out for work yeah. <laughs> um, so that, you know, my coworkers aren't, you know, they already know like what my diagnosis is and how I am yeah. already, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's just more like, well, you know, here's the, the hours of where I'm going to be so good for you guys. And then there's the other hours where I'm just going to be me unfiltered unmedicated and they're like that's totally fine because we're busy in these days you know and all that but um because you know I I I the same I get scared because like I know for a fact you know I I don't want to be told you need to up a dosage and it's like well let's try to make sure that my body's not so tolerant like you know tolerant to dex yet until I can then decide well maybe it's not going to work anymore so giving that time frame and making sure that it still works but like it's good that it um it does work for you and I can understand yeah like it can be like a number of factors like food or you're so tired or mm-hmm. anything so no it's it's really good that it's working for you yeah. um and with dosage so I was always told like three max a day was that was <laughs> were they told did they tell you something else because I feel like I'm being misinformed no I don't think I was ever told a max, but mm-hmm. I had with my dose being so high with like three in the morning and then like, mm. like three in the afternoon and one at night, my mm-hmm. like my psychiatrist is completely aware of that. And okay, um, yeah, but this month I did have a because I'd been on dexamphetamine for so long, mm. I was going to be switched over to a slow release, which I was okay. a bit nervous about because I if I wanted to take it on a Saturday, you know, it's still going to be in my system in the afternoon. What if I don't want it in my system? Mm. I want to have a break. And then in the evenings, because I still need to function through the evening, yeah, that's a bit difficult. And yeah. I, in um, March, I had a episode with, with my heart mm-hmm. it, and I was in hospital mm-hmm. because I may, and I'm going through the process of being diagnosed for POTS, which is um, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome right um so we decided based on all of that I would just it's fine for me to stick with the dexamphetamine and surprisingly Mm -hmm. I have been watching my heart rate and it Mm -hmm. actually goes down a bit after I take it which is super interesting to me the stimulant doesn't up it yeah when it's kind of meant to yeah in some instances yeah right Okay, well, we'll touch on two things there. I've written two things down. So um, I can tell you, I, I can see how, like, yeah, the slow release would, would I guess, worry you because you want to be able to control how long you want it, when mm. it affects you, and yet yeah, how long. And then, yeah, the heart thing. I had to, I mean, I bought a freaking monitor 
<laughs> just to see if my heart was gonna go over or whatever yeah and every time I go to the doctor even if it's on or off man they're just like it's fine I'm like yeah I'm scared like I just want to know right yeah but that's interesting yeah so it's it's it goes slower yeah, yeah. like obviously I'm not medical medically qualified no. <laughs> yes, but going off like everything <laughs> I've been experienced <laughs> monitoring it and stuff because mm. when I was in hospital and my heart rate mm. was um say 70 when I was laying down and then when yeah. I'd stand up it would shoot up to 150 or something like that wow <laughs> insane oh I was off my medication and then I was a bit nervous to go back on it when I was out of hospital but mm-hmm. it didn't really have any difference it just lowered it if anything it's super super interesting <laughs> right oh my goodness yeah. so and is that is that um, affecting the the pots that you're talking about? Is that, or did that kind of, I guess, show you that you could have it? I feel so. I this it was all brought to my attention through my Apple Watch, which in yep, which is helpful in, in some ways. <laughs> okay, well, smash it with a hammer because they're inaccurate and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was being monitored in hospital, and the, it was exactly the same. Um, oh. So apparently since the start of December when I had started my medication but I'd also gone through the grief of losing a family member and then I'd also recently had COVID, mm-hmm. um, like yeah. apparently my heart rate had unknowingly been up around 90, 100 just sitting down, which is wow. a, I feel like it was a high from, for me. Like I'm not, an, I'm not very unfit. Yeah, like, yeah. I've always been quite active and mm. so I was a bit shocked and I wasn't and I hadn't realized that until I had this episode which was triggered by a, a very high stress day um mm-hmm. so I had chest pain I had uh, nausea I've, it was very mm. very scary and then my heart mm. rate was so jumping so high when I'd stand up um and then oh I've gone off on a <laughs> no you're fine um <laughs> I mean, this is what it's about. Don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah. So you were in the hospital, and your heart was going off. The and then I mean, is this how the doctors told you you could have it? Or well, I um, had done a lot of my own research, and so mm-hmm. then I was asking the cardiologist about it, mm-hmm. and um, still doing a lot of my own research. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. And then so. They think it's a possibility and then I'm going mm-hmm. to in the process of being diagnosed for that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry to hear about all that. I'm glad that I think it does. It takes, I think, much like your diagnosis with ADHD and then everything else in our public system, I believe. It's I've I've been told this and it's been a huge like revelation for me to you have to advocate for yourself, right? Like and it's yeah. a big thing because no one no doctor is gonna be like, You've got this let's treat it it's more like it's more like you go to the doctor and it's just like well what do you need to say to me like what are you worried about and it's like I don't know what I'm worried about like tell me help me here you're the professional you know I've got I've been suffering for pancreatitis episodes for every four to six months for the last 10 years or so um all caused by different things um from like of course if I was you know yeah 18 you're going out to a club you're having a couple of drinks mm, uh, mm. mcdonald's um <laughs> <laughs> take away take away i mean um yeah uh you know strong antibiotics um getting a cold getting a common cold mm-hmm. would trigger an episode and i'd maybe have to go to hospital if it was bad enough uh, because they can be quite dangerous and it took 10 years for I'd had to go, go to a public hospital at this time because I was pregnant and the private hospital doesn't see doesn't deal with pregnant people they don't have the facilities so mm. I was in the public hospital hospital at that time and they do the they do the rounds in the morning and there might be a couple of doctors that go around to every patient and it was one of those doctors that said oh maybe it's autoimmune pancreatitis and I was like that makes so much sense I've done so much research after years and years of 
doctors not really been able to give me any answers why this keeps happening so it's mm. <laughs> you just yeah yeah I have to do a I'm, lot of advocating I think <laughs> no that's right and I'm you know I'm so glad that you did all that research because I think if you hadn't you probably would have also not have I guess known when they did tell you that as well so it's good that you had the, the idea there already but no, I'm so glad that you're, you know, you're following that thread and you're not giving up in that aspect because it's, yeah. it's for your health. Like you need to look after yourself, right? Yeah. And so it's so good. I'm glad you've gotten there eventually. <laughs> yeah, I found after um, that. a lot of people who are neurodivergent do have a autoimmune mm. things mm-hmm. and other conditions, which is super fascinating to me that that's, this can all be connected. <laughs> it's fascinating, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I understand. Um, it's true because they tell, like, you know, they say if you've got anxiety, you've got gut mm. health problems because mm. it's it's how it affects your body. Mm. Um, and I didn't think that was true until I then felt <laughs> the same. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, they're 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 onto something. Yeah. There's something right about it. Um, but it's you know, it's it's kind of sad because it's like that's the thing that you could easily address. Mm. Um, and you could probably fix in, in, you know, I'm not fixed, but at least prevent and treat better. Yeah. And I think that's something that my doctor has taught me. It's like, you'd rather prevent before treating something because yes. at least you're not so far gone and you're not actually, you know, at like a stage where it's so risky, you have to go into surgery or it's like, you know, it's life or death at that point. So it's like, if there's anything you need to bring up, prevent it before, mm-hmm. before going in the, in the worst you know phase of it so that's a good thing that you're doing definitely yeah Yeah. (laughs) well we've covered so much which has been amazing and I'm so thankful you've been able to share every almost everything with me um I think I would love to then ask what do you like about I guess now knowing it's ADHD what is the best parts of of your your ADHD (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) there's so many good parts it's just trying to work out which (laughs) what they are Uh, I feel like we uh, can be very empathetic Mm -hmm. Mm. um, creative thinking outside the box I always love so adding your opinion into something if Mm -hmm. it's something that neurotypicals no offense Um, (laughs) add another perspective that's outside of the box that they they have not thought of that's right yeah um being able to do a power clean if someone's coming over (laughs) (laughs) i can attest to that yes um the amount of times you know, your partner tells you, people are coming over, oh my gosh, and then just zooming and then just, you know, but like every other day when you know you have to clean the house and you're just like, ah, it's it's not going to happen. Yeah, um, yeah, it doesn't happen or it takes hours. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or, yeah, not eat, like it barely does. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love that, um, that, yeah, but we can all relate to that in some yeah. way, which is horrifying but so true <laughs> um and what do you think um what's what do you currently struggle with with ADHD um it would probably be a lot of the the exhaustion that comes in overstimulation that comes with the unmasking because mm-hmm. I'm going through that process um mm. just being so burnt out every day <laughs> oh yeah I you know what yeah, and that's it's the sad side of it, I guess, because you can't really identify it because you feel that way all the time, and it's just when's the end kind of thing. Um, I think I start to notice for sure when it's when I'm just constantly napping because my yeah. mind is so exhausted. Yeah, um, and it's kind of gone to the point where my like my support network goes, "You're sleeping again? Are you okay? Like, what's happening?" It's like, yeah, I I, can't, I just I'm not you know I'm not energized enough at this point yeah you know? yeah oh. I do find a lot of people notice it in me before I do I do <laughs> yeah that's always good to have though I think that's yeah I think that's the best part if you're you know you're comfortable sharing yeah. you know the raw experiences of, of what you're going through 
um, then your, you know, so your support network is, you know, they check up on you more and they understand just how much it does affect you and what they can do. I think it's good to then like, you know, the whole body doubling thing. It's like when, you know, they, they reach out and like, you know, if you have to do something with them, then they'll hold you accountable. So it's, it's nice to, to have someone there to push you through things because you know even if you try you probably won't (laughs) so when someone else is going come on let's do it you're like okay now I feel a bit more motivated um yeah um what do you think you would name it um what would you rename ADHD I was I've been thinking about it (laughs) it's a hard one and I was thinking uh something to do with too much attention (laughs) Oh yeah. Despite popular belief, we actually have too much attention into things. Mm-hmm. Probably not the right things. No, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and maybe like selective focus disorder. Um, oh. I was thinking maybe executive dysfunction disorder, but then oh, yeah. other things. But then I've yeah. been um, listening to podcasts and videos by Dr. Russell Barkley. I don't know if you've come across him on the internet, but he calls it self-regulation deficit disorder. Um, Oh, yeah. So I like the self-regulation part. Yeah. It's more empowering. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. More than, so, you know, like the, it just sounds like we're hyperactive with the name it has or like Mm. just is not right (laughs) no that's right absolutely and it's we we we're deficient we're not deficient in attention it's that we have too much yeah and it's more that we're deficient in the chemical part of of stuff not yeah yeah, it's so it's very tunnel vision on the right thing yeah that's right (laughs) exactly I like that no that's a good I'll have to um research Dr Russell Barkley I'll I'll look into that yeah yeah and is there, lastly, is there anything that you would recommend to neurodivergence or ADHDs, um, like any apps or resources that you use personally that help you manage it? I can't do apps because I forget about them. <laughs> Diaries and challenges. Yeah. Um, I think I just use the notes app on iPhone that's pretty much what I use I am yeah. on my sensory toys I nice so anything like that helps you just do it don't be worried about what people think I sit at work and I'm mm-hmm. usually spinning this along with my poppet like yeah. just do things don't worry about what other people are thinking there's so many people talking about it now that they probably know in their head oh you know they're might be neurodivergent people I think mm. people will see you playing with those things and think that these days um there's I don't yeah. there's anything to be ashamed of um just yeah do anything that'll help yeah oh, I think that's beautiful definitely yeah don't overthink it do whatever helps you yeah that's a good message yeah, yeah. and oh yeah <laughs> no I love that I I agree with you there absolutely um well, that's that's pretty much me. I actually forgot to ask, but what do you do for work? If, if I, work I, I can edit it out. It's fine. <laughs> no, no, you you don't have to. I work in admin in a doctor's surgery. So I yeah, right. had gone to work at the start of the year, my first time unmasking, and mm-hmm. it is amazing. So I feel like I get a response, a better response from patients um, mm. when I'm more myself. Um, yeah. So I have, I've got my fidget toys at work. Mm-hmm. My my work is so supportive. They mm-hmm. know my behaviours. Um, mm. They're familiar with neurodivergence. Even my boss, I said to him one day, you know, look, if, if I'm not making eye contact with you when you're um, talking to me, I'm not not listening. I just can't listen if I'm making eye contact to you. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh no, I wasn't worried because you actually do the stuff. <laughs> I don't force myself to do the whole making eye contact thing. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I'd just be myself there now and it's just so much better than work has ever been. 
Oh, I love that. I think that's something that I I definitely want to end on is is I'm reading this book which is called um, The Radical Guide to Women with ADHD. It's a great book. I'm only just going through it. It's a whole workbook. Definitely try it out. It's actually really fun. I've only just gotten through a few chapters, but the whole book is pretty much saying at the very beginning it tells you like you shouldn't feel ashamed about having it because the world around you does not fit you. And that's yeah. essentially what it is. Like it's just telling you, yes, you can train yourself to to be as neurotypical as possible, mm. but you can't. Like that's just not how you're built. So do what you need to do. Like you don't need to change completely no. just to fit everything. Um, and I think that definitely applies. So it's really good to hear that you have a supportive workplace and supportive family. Yeah. So it's really good to hear yeah yeah oh well thank i might end the recording there yeah thank you bridget do you want to say anything else before we end the recording oh just don't be afraid to ask for help if you need it uh talk about it uh just yeah be yourself (laughs) i love that thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review it on Spotify. To catch the latest, you can follow me on Instagram at nyntpodcast, and if you would like to be a guest on the podcast, send an email to nyntpodcast at gmail.com. Please remember that the content in this podcast is not intended to provide medical advice and should not be relied on as such. If you are experiencing any health concerns, you are encouraged to seek advice from a medical professional. Not Your Neurotypical podcast aims to create an informative and supportive safe space for neurodivergent individuals and their allies to connect, learn and grow together. Each episode is recorded on Gadigal land, Sydney, Australia, hosted and produced by me, Raylan Sebastian, with music composed by Hubert de Monteverde. Thank you for joining me on this journey and stay tuned for the next episode.